0: Good Tuesday morning, everybody. I am Glenn Geek from Ocala, Florida.
2: And I am Christy Landwehr from Aurora, Colorado. And you are listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for this Tuesday, April the 16th, episode 2162. This episode is brought to you by the Certified Horsemanship Association. Good morning, horse world. Houston, we have a problem.
3: Ability equals skill plus knowledge.
1: I got a bad feeling about this. Here's a safety tip for you from the Certified Horsemanship
4: Association. Missed it by
2: that much.
3: How can I change this to make it better the next time?
0: Help you, I can. Yeah.
2: Time for training Tuesday on Horses in the Morning with the Certified Horsemanship
1: Association.
4: On today's Certified Horsemanship Association episode, we're going to hit the ground running. Thanks to Jenny Beveridge from Troxel, and she's got the top four things you
1: and your customers need to know about equestrian helmets. And then next up, Jennifer Eaton from the IEA has some great ideas on marketing your summer programs to new
3: and existing customers. And then wrapping up our ride through the sphere, Molly O'Brien has the latest on the Time to Ride program. So stay tuned for the fray, folks.
0: Thank you very much, Jennifer. Well, I'll tell you what, Christy, we can't start this uh, this Tuesday without talking about the events of yesterday in Notre Dame. Sheesh. Oh my um, gosh, that was crazy. I, it was just heartbreaking to watch, you know, something that you know has been there for 800 years, survived two world wars, uh, and and a fire that was probably started by something innocuous, you know, takes yes. the whole thing down. Uh, yes, it was crazy, and I w- I was looking at some pictures this morning and uh, of of the aftermath. They finally got in today, and uh, it is just it was just crazy. Uh, uh, just uh, and I grew up Catholic. I was actually accepted to Notre Dame here in the United States to go to Ooh, college, and smart. I never I never did go. Uh, and I wish I still had that acceptance letter today to prove that I actually got accepted. But um, yeah, I, and your son just got back from Paris, right? You know, he did. He was able to go to
2: London and Paris as part of a performing arts trip with his high school. And I told him, "I go, boy, son, those
0: pictures just got really more meaningful to you." So he had he went to Notre Dame.
2: He did. He or had Notre the Dame. Uh, Notre Dame. Yes, yeah. he had the um, the rose uh, stained glass window behind him, and of course, he went up and saw the gargoyles and you know saw the whole thing. It was actually this really neat photo of him looking out over Paris from one of the balconies.
0: It's pretty cool. Oh wow. Well, wow, yeah, I'm, I'm glad he got to see that then. Yeah, yeah, and I know, me
2: too. But now the other son is jealous and mad. He's like, I am always the younger son. I didn't get to see it. <laughs> I'm like, it'll be fine. They will rebuild it. One day you will see it. Because they were so lucky, Glenn, that they were able to save so many of the artifacts. And the um, the Rose Window does so many things are saved. And I, of course they will rebuild. Of course they will. They uh,
0: had had a picture of the of the actual chapel area. You know, everybody's seen pictures of that, the long, 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 long room, and then the altar at the end with the gold cross, and it had a couple of statues around it. Well, they showed pictures this morning, and it's all dark and, you know, looks burnt, obviously, uh, and there's a pile of rubble everywhere, but at the end, all you see is the gold cross just is, like, lit up. And that's what you see you see all the dark from from the fire, and then you see the gold cross, and it just stands out uh It was an incredible picture actually, and of a course sign of hope, yeah, and they you said they yep. did get a lot of the stuff out. I guess they had a brigade of people just taking the stuff out um all the all the relics and things.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, there's so many of them. But, you know, that, that cross that you just mentioned, that's the sign of hope, right? That yeah. hope after darkness. And it's just so interesting because for those that are Christians that are listening to the show, you know, this is Holy Week. I mean, it's just the timing of all of it. It's just, it's just really interesting.
0: Yeah, but apparently am... Palm Sunday, which was the day before the fire, the lines were two blocks long to get in. Th- th- wow. Th- that many people go to church there, number one, and visit. I guess it's like 25,000 people a day. Vis- it's the most, it's even, gets more visitors in the Eiffel Tower. It was the most wow. visited attraction in all of Paris. Um, but, uh, yeah... So, anyway, that's off-topic, but it was certainly something that caught everybody in the world's attention yesterday. Oh, it sure did. Well, you were at Equine... By the way, this is Christy. She is here on the third Tuesday of every month with the Certified Horsemanship Association. For the last, like, 25 years, we've been doing this. And, <laughs> uh, and she's back again. And you just got back, like, late last night from Equine Affair in Ohio, which is one of the largest uh, horse expos in the country.
2: Yes, we love going to that one. And then they have another one in Massachusetts in Springfield in November. So we enjoy it very much. Um Kogi Long is now their manager and does a really good job putting it on. But it was really fun. We got to see our friend Julie Goodnight. She was one of the speakers. Oh, yeah. Of course, she's our uh, program, you know, ex-program director and certified with us. So she was there. And I was interested in this. Um, Jesse Westfall was there, Stacey Westfall's husband. And he is phenomenal. I had never actually seen him do training stuff. And he's coming to be a keynoter at our international conference in October when we're in Buffalo, New York. And it was so much fun to see him in action, um, working with difficult horses was one of his topics and putting suppleness into your horse and bending and those types of things. And he was just so gentle with the horses and was actually a very good communicator. And, um, you know, I get a little bit, oh, I don't know, ADHD when I watch clinicians and other people and I can last for like five, 10 minutes and and then I just have to walk away and I have to go do something else and then come back. And I sat there. He was good. I, I, I really enjoyed him.
0: We interviewed him along with Stacy for Radiothon one year. What a super nice guy, too. Uh, yes. He's a nice guy. And and you know, you're right. He's kind of the one, you know, Stacy is is the celebrity and you know, then he's just kind of there, but <laughs> but he knows what he's talking about.
2: Oh, he does a fabulous job. You know, she went viral with all of her bridalists right. and saddleists and all that kind of stuff. And he just never had his viral moment. But I'll tell you, he is quite the horse trainer. Yeah, he was it was really fun to watch him and we're excited to have him. So anybody I'm going to do a plug that wants to come to our international conference in October. That's near Houghton, New York. You can ride with him. I um, mean, you don't have to bring your horse. We use Houghton school horses and they're pretty fabulous. And you can ride with him and Julie Goodnight and many, many others. So think about that. But yeah, so Equine Affair was good. Uh, the trade show was large like normal. I mean, it takes over so many Many different buildings, I'll tell you though, we're over in the Celeste building and we really like it over there. It's like the kinder, gentler version of the same place of trade they do, quarter
0: Congress, too, right?
2: Oh, it is, yep, okay. and it just goes on and on. Yeah, it's a big place. <laughs> oh, and you know, I'm pretty extroverted, glad And I walk into the Bricker building, and every time after about two hours in there, I'm like, I gotta go. There's just so many people, but it was good. It was good. It was um, lots was of people, any, you know, shopping. You know, they've
0: been doing these expos for a long time. Was there anything that stuck out to you as different or unique this year that you went, oh, that that was a good idea?
2: You know, they had um, a different type of boot. And since my horses are barefoot and we live here where there's a lot of rocks to go on trail rides, I I tend to... Go, try all the boots, you know, and and give them all a try. So I might actually try this. Um, it's a boot, of there's an Australian lady that came over from Australia and it's very synthetic um, material. It's not going to get sucked off in the mud. There's no wires on it, which is kind of nice. It goes on really easy just with these little metal attachments at the front that just kind of and, and I don't know the correct terminology, but like gamuts almost. It just kind of connect. And it even has something that goes up and around the pasture of the horse so that if it does come off, you're going to hear it go thud, thud, and then you can get off and save it so you don't lose it in the mud, which is rather lovely. Um, so it had some really unique things. And can I remember the name of her product? No. So I'm sorry <laughs> if you're listening right now, but anyways, go look it up. I'm sure if you just look up Hoof Boots in Australia or something, she'll, she'll come up, but she is brand new. And I had walked by her booth and my head did a turn. I'm like, Oh, you're new. And we had a lovely chat. She was a very nice lady.
0: And any, uh, any clinicians that were different? Any, anything like that?
2: Um, you know, well, for me, it was just fun to hear Jesse since all we'll have him at yeah. our event. But um, you know, there was I I enjoy all the breed demos. Um, I enjoy they do going a lot in of that
0: there the breed demos. Yeah, and I yeah. love
2: that. And then I loved going in and watching um the jumping right. And I know Jen, you would like that too. They always have really good jumping clinicians, and that's very entertaining to watch as you're eating lunch. It's not boring at all. Um, so that's that that's really fun. So we enjoyed that and lots of um driving this year i thought lots of good driving demos uh the interscholastic equestrian association of course jen's going to be on in a bit they did a western show there one of their semi-finals so that was fun to go watch the kids just draw a horse out of a hat have to get on it and go ride it so that was good and then they also had um Oh, uh, the time to ride, that Molly's going to be on here in a little bit. And they had it all with halflingers, where people got oh, to get on cool. for the first time.
0: Yeah, it was really cool. Well, you know, a halflinger's going to be safe. One, they're wide. And two, they don't go any very very fast. So you're, no. good,
2: you're good with a <laughs> They liked it as cruise along. They're like, you, here we are cruising.
0: You know, a little known fact, Reese Koffler-Stanfield, who you know, um, is host of the Dressage Radio Show. I met her for the first time in person at that expo, years and years and years ago, that's where I met her Aww. for the first time. You always yeah. meet us at expos. That's what I know. you guys do. Well, that's a, it's the only time I get out of the house. <laughs> so that's, like, <laughs> that's probably the reason. Yes, <laughs> all we right.
2: all know how that goes.
0: First guest is ready. <laughs>
2: Wonderful. It's so good to have uh, Jenny Beveridge on again this month from Troxel and we're going to be talking about some totally different things. Um, Jenny grew up in the saddle and found her why in life after seeing the spot where a family acquaintance unfortunately died from a head injury while riding her horse to a trailhead. She has been with Troxel Helmets now for over 15 years developing helmets that riders want to wear and is currently their brand manager. We are so excited to have her on today, especially because Troxel is now an official partner of CHA, and so we're doing a lot more with them. So, hello, Jenny. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing fine. Excited to have you on again. What's been going on over the last month in your life?
3: Oh, just finishing up, uh, having lots of baby calves, and um, kind of just spring fever around here, cleaning up, and kind of getting ready for the for the good weather and riding season, so that's what's been kind of happening in our world over here.
0: So how many yeah. calves at the farm, at the ranch? What was that? How many calves will you have in a year at the ranch?
3: Um, we have about 300 or so.
0: Well, that's enough. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of eggs. <laughs> yeah,
3: it keeps us <laughs> so busy. Yeah, yeah, and, and, you know, and we're real smart because we decide to have them, you know, when it's, like, wintertime still, so it's just a, it's a real blast, let me tell you, and trying to <laughs> calve and, you know. Zero below you know zero degrees or or you know below and and snowing and blowing and yeah it was a it was a tough year this year, usually we don't have such horrific weather during um February, but man, we just got slammed, so it was it was a tough one, but we made it through for the most part pretty well and kept babies alive and used lots of straw and used our our calving barn a lot so. I was expecting you to say 30, not
0: 300. (laughs) I wasn't expecting 300. Yeah, no kidding.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, 30 in a day maybe, but yeah, uh, yeah, about (laughs) 300 total. We have about, yeah, 20 more left to go or so, but these guys will be born on nice green grass, so a lot easier start in life. They'll be the
2: spoiled babies. (laughs) Exactly. Somebody should do a research study and see if they're born (laughs) later, if they're more soft, and if they're born earlier, if they're more tough during life. You know what I mean? mean? Yeah.
3: (laughs) That's true, man. It's like survival of the fittest when they're born in February, so that's for sure makes them way tougher
0: <laughs> it only gets better from there for them though, right I mean they're like they're yep. thinking life's just gonna be yep. that way and then all of a sudden it gets nice and the grass grows and it's like yes
4: oh. <laughs> yeah. This
3: is good. yeah it makes you really they, yeah those ones really appreciate the sunshine the sunshine and the green grass that is for sure <laughs> I bet. Yeah. I think our horses
2: do too. You know, we had our second quote unquote bomb cyclone, but uh, it was, the wind wasn't nearly as bad. And so once again, I'm feeding them under the shelter. They're just looking at me like, oh, we get a lot more feed
0: when there's a bomb cyclone. We like this.
2: (laughs) Well, that's
0: awesome. Well, welcome to everybody to Bovines in the Morning. Uh, (laughs) I know, that's right. We just keep
2: changing.
4: (laughs) Yeah, no kidding.
2: (laughs) Well, Jenny, last show we talked um, a lot about purchasing an equestrian helmet, and we mentioned how it needs to be ASTM SEI approved, and the types of testing, which was fascinating to me, uh, between all the different Mm -hmm. types of sports and why it's important to purchase a helmet that's certified for equestrian use. So this time we are diving into a totally new area. We're going to discuss fit. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Where does one start on figuring out what size helmet they need?
3: Sure. Um, you know, the best place to start is actually just kind of getting an old fashioned measuring tape out or a piece of string and wrapping it around your head, um, basically, uh, about an inch above your eyebrows. Um, just trying to keep that line pretty level around your head or, or have, you know, somebody help you do it. Or if you're doing, you know, doing on a kid, you know, just trying to keep that, that, um, String level or that soft measuring tape level. And if you don't have one of those soft measuring tapes, like we do sometimes for sewing, you can always take that string and lay it out and use either a ruler or um, just a regular measuring tape, hard one, um, just to see what your length is. And, you know, you can get it in centimeters or in inches. And then from there, the nice thing is is um, uh, on our website, and I know all the other helmet manufacturers do as well, we all have a size chart. So basically it helps you convert either centimeters or inches to a hat size. So um, some catalogs, they list the, ha- um, the hat size of helmets uh, for the small, medium, large, extra large, like within a size range. And then some actually do list out like it in centimeters and in inches. So basically if you have... Um, the size chart to go off of it'll really help you because then you can at least know that like okay so I'm you know a 20 inch uh, measurement so that would be a 51 inches or excuse me a 51 centimeters or a six and three eighths hat size so those size charts kind of give you um, a, an ability to be able to evaluate what size you are um, and give you that in three different ways um, and then from there the each of the helmet styles will show you like what a small is. So a small is maybe, um, in a certain helmet, like, um, a six and a half to a six and seven, eight. And if you know that you're, um, you know, obviously, uh, a six and seven, eighths, So, you know, you're going to probably maybe start in that small size. So it just kind of gives you that, um, starting point. So I definitely recommend, you know, getting the old fashioned measuring tape out and just, um, giving you, um, that starting point there, unless, you know, offhand that you are, you know, say a six and seven, eighths. Um, some of us, you know, have cowboy hats, you know, that have those little tags on the inside, so we can easily reference that too. So, um, well, that's Jenny, where I, I start out.
2: I love the fact that you do all sizes. Cause you know what I am? I am a seven and three fourths. <laughs> I have a very big head. Oh, itty, yeah. Itty. yeah. Yeah. Right. So small. Oh, so yeah. Yeah, so you could definitely fit me too. So you could fit small all the way up to extra large head for those we, of us have the have same have size brain. head,
0: Christy. You really? Mean, you have yes. a
2: gigantic, all yes. the brain. That's right. right? You have <laughs> to
0: fit them someplace.
2: <laughs> yes. Brains, yep.
3: brains and hair.
0: <laughs> it's not hair for Glenn. Hair yeah. for me, babe. Yeah. Not <laughs> hair
2: for Glenn. It must be braids for Glenn. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, uh, we do. Um, we do. Um, I was joking that seven to three quarters is little because, oh my word. Yeah, that is a. Uh, that is um, on their bigger side of our helmet range. Um, but, you know, it is great because we do, um, we have over the years had so many um, gentlemen approaches or ladies with thick hair or just lots of brains um, asked for, you know, bigger head sizes or excuse me, bigger helmet sizes. And so we have developed all the way up to that seven and three quarters. And then on the flip side, we've gone down and developed uh, toddler size helmets, um, all the way down in that extra small range. Um, to fit the little kids all the way down to like a six and a quarter, which is itty 80 bitty. So, um, yeah, we've definitely over the years expanded quite a bit because the range in helmets just, you know, there were a lot of people being missed that have larger heads or smaller heads. So, Well, and it's the so
2: range in it shows our that, industry, uh, our industry goes all the way from yeah. toddlers all the way up to, you know, when you're about to not do any kind of sport anymore, right? We can do everything that we can do the full yep. gamut of ages. Yep. So that's great. So, all yeah, right, Jenny, no, it so is once you have the
3: helmet you yeah. like
2: and it seems to fit okay, mm-hmm. I know that there's even ways to customize the comfort even more. How do you do that?
3: There is. Yeah. So, in Troxel helmets, um, we have a few different ways. So, first of all, all of the liners on the Troxel helmets are removable and washable. And on the inside of those liners, there's what we call flip folds. So, flip folds, instead of having a separate shim that you would put in a helmet, like, say, on the sides of the helmet to take up space, um, these shims are actually incorporated in the liner, and all you have to do is flip them under and then re-Velcro it. So when you do that, it makes it um, a little bit thicker um, in the headliner, and so it takes up some of that room, so it kind of makes it more cushiony and fluffy and a little bit thicker. So if you, need, if you have more of an oval-shaped head, per se, and so you have some space on the side of your helmet, you can flip those little tabs under to make it snugger. Um, And then also we have um, either a dial fit system or a sure fit system within the helmet. So the dial fit, that's pretty straightforward. So it's a dial and you can kind of crank it down and um, adjust it to make that helmet uh, a little bit snugger. And um, it's best to do that when it's on your head. So any time when you're you're doing the dial fit adjustments, it's best to start out with that dial all the way out. Put the helmet on your head. It's going to feel big. And then you can snug that uh, dial up to the back of your head until you hit that comfort level that feels well. Um, what can happen sometimes is you can over tighten nose and um, you can get a pressure point like in your forehead. So it's just best to kind of adjust that, um, you know, when you have that on your head. And the nice thing about those outfits is if you change your hairstyle, like say, um, you know, you go from like a longer cut to like a shorter cut. And so you don't have as much hair up in your helmet. Um, the nice thing is, is you have a, a little bit of adjustability within that size range, too. Um, yes, that helps handy. me
2: too, because I got really thick curly hair. And then when I straighten it, I can mm-hmm. dial it down. Yep, it works
3: out. Oh, really yep, yep. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, and then the final thing we have in, in some of the helmets is what we call a SureFit. So the fit is more of like a, a cup that kind of hugs the back of your head. The nice thing about the SureFit is it's super comfortable. It has elastic bands on either side of that little SureFit cup. And um, those pretty much just self-adjust. Um, there is um, a little bit of the uh, adjustment range on the sides of those. So you can, it's kind of almost like a bra strap. It's it's um, like a little plastic um, uh, part that's threaded through. So you can make those um, elastic pieces shorter if you need to on that cup. But otherwise, um, you know, the the elastic pieces give quite a bit and they kind of just conform to your head when you put it right on. So um, that's the other comfort uh, feature we have in the helmets besides that Dowfit fit is that sure fit. System, So, um, kind of with that and then the, um, liner on the inside, you know, you get, you have quite a bit of adjustability within that extra small, small, medium, large, um, helmet platform size to get, you know, that true fit, um, you know, for your head shape compared to the the helmet.
2: The comfort things really do help. I just have loved how that's been changing yeah. over the years and helping fit all of our different heads. And now I know for us, the chin strap, huh, especially for the kids, I'll tell you, I'm just going to give everyone who's mm-hmm. an instructor out there a little tip. When you go to put the chin strap on, put your finger in between the neck of your student and your finger. And if you accidentally pinch yourself, it'll be yourself on your finger and not their neck because I have done that numerous times. So don't be pinching your kids with a chin strap. But, yeah, the chin strap's a really important thing to talk about in regards to tightness too.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, once you get that comfort level of your helmet, so it's best to fit um, the actual platform of your helmet around your head. So you want it snug, kind of like how you feel like a baseball cap or a cowboy hat on your head. So you want that, you want to feel that helmet all the way around your head, but you don't want to feel it digging in. You don't want to feel pressure points. So once you have that fitted well, the next step is like you said, fitting that chin strap or what we call the retention system. So the retention system is actually the most important part to have fitted correctly when you're fitting your helmet, that is what keeps that helmet in place during a fall. So if you don't have um, that retention system um, snug on, you know, on your um, face and underneath your chin, um, basically, you know, that helmet might not stay where it needs to stay. If you happen to come off and, and have multiple impacts, you know, a lot of times we don't just hit one thing, we roll, we hit multiple things, or maybe the horse, you know, hits us, you know, if we do come off. And so, like I said, it's just, that's one of the most important things. And so with the retention system, you want to have it snug underneath the chin. So typically when I start out, I start out by making a V on the side. um, Underneath the ear, there's a little thing called a slide glide. And it's a little piece, it's a little black piece of plastic that makes that V um, underneath the ear. And so I usually slide those up to right underneath the earlobe. And then once I have that even on both sides, then I look at the chin strap. And then I adjust it from there. Um, you know, those are really easy to adjust. They have um, little rubber rings that feeds the excess through as well. So basically, when you're adjusting that chin strap underneath, um, so you want to have um, just the most area you want to have underneath that chin and uh, that retention system is about a finger's width apart from the two. So that's a good um, a good tip. Christy is you know putting that finger underneath when you're putting that chin strap because I have I have a gotten some chins and some necks in my day and oh my goodness it makes people gun shy especially the kids so it is nice to put your finger under there snap it and then and then you know it's kind of a nice double check because then you at least know that you're just a finger width between that that chin strap and that retention system so
2: true you get both done So, um, I have a question for you. We're getting into, you know, no, hopefully not as much cold. And now we're the parts of the country that have had Mm -hmm. enough cold are getting into the warmth. And so helmets go through all kinds of weather conditions. What's the best way to store them Mm -hmm. when, where, and how?
3: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, storing your helmet is really important. So you never want to have it like near a direct heat source. So if you happen to have a heated tack room, you don't want to have that helmet, you know, stored near a vent or stored, near um you know um if you have a fireplace or or some kind of a heat insert so basically um you know keep it away from direct heat you know the outer shells are are plastic so um you know you always want to keep that in mind that you want to keep that away from a direct heat source you also want to keep the helmets out of direct sunlight so you don't want to have it hanging near a window too because the sun can be just as detrimental with the um, radiating heat you know on that plastic Um, one thing is, you know, the helmets do come in a pretty sturdy box. You know, our helmets do. Um, we do sell um, a nice padded bag or a just an inexpensive little nylon bag. And so those are handy just to stick your helmet in something and then hang them up. I see a lot of people will hang their helmets up by their retention straps. And unfortunately, when you do that over time, it ends up pulling those slide glides or making the retention system uneven on one side. And then people don't think to go and refit their helmets constantly. And so what I see is, um, you know, a lot of people um, will have their side glides like beneath their chin instead of ma- making a V underneath their ear. And then sometimes the chin straps get really long because they're hanging them up on the chin strap. So I would definitely, you know, say, you know, try to keep it in climate controlled. Try to keep it either in the original box or buy a specific helmet bag or even one of those little nylon um, little backpack tote bags that we we sell at Tropical oh, yeah. that you can use just to kind of hang up. So. Yeah, and it also keeps them, you know, cleaner too. Just you know how dusty our barns get and such. Even if they're in a tack room, and it's just kind of nice, you know, um, just from that perspective too. And you know, that's a really
2: good idea. You also get them a lot as um, giveaways at trade shows and stuff. Those little backpacks, and you always kind of think, what do I do with these? I don't really want to throw it away. It might be useful. What a good idea to put your helmets in them, hang them up, and then maybe write a big S for small and a big M for medium or whatever. That's a great idea. (laughs) I like that idea.
3: Yeah, 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 and it just keeps them a little bit cleaner. And you know, they, you know, that material is still so breathable, so you're still going to get that airflow in there to get that headliner dry and all that. So, well, Jenny, thanks
2: so much for being on today and discussing this next level yeah. of what we do with our helmets in regards to fit and things. I just think this is just a great series we're putting on, and I just really appreciate having you on to share that with everyone.
3: Oh yeah, no, we're super excited. And if, you know, if any of the listeners want to get some more information on how to fit inside of the helmet, we have a lot of really good um, graphics and videos and such on our website at troxelhelmets.com that they can look at and um, actually kind of visualize and see how to do um, the helmet fitting and sizing.
2: Perfect. Well, thanks Jenny. And uh, good luck with the rest of the calves that get yeah. to be born on the green grass. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, thank you. We appreciate it. All right. Talk to you soon.
0: We used to have that uh, when we had our tax shop that that was my job. I was helmet fitter. That was because yes. <laughs> nobody knew. Everybody wanted to have helmets that were much looser than they should have been
2: correct and so you have to be the mean guy i know well we have i just want everyone to know too we have a video on our site cha.horse just go to educational videos and you'll go to our youtube channel or you can watch it right off of our site and it's actually julie fitting a helmet to me to my head and um it's it's well done so if anybody wants to get it with video you can certainly do that too
0: all right very good well we're going to change gears here a little bit aren't we
2: We are. So now we're going to jump into um, creative ways to get more riding students, boarders, campers, and just horses in training. For those of you that are either thinking of starting a business or you already have one and you're like, ah, summer's coming. I got to make take advantage of the longer hours, get more clients in here so I can feed my horses during the winter. So we have on with us today um, our vice president of regional relations, which we're thrilled about. She's on our board of directors, but Jen Eaton is also um, a riding instructor herself. She's obtained her Massachusetts instructor's license in 92. Um, She has a bachelor's degree in developmental psychology, and she has taught all types of riders. She's currently with the Interscholastic Equestrian Association and was also a show steward and is also um has been a coach for iea so very involved in that program and she does a lot with their membership um she's also been the massachusetts horseman council person of the year and i'm excited because i was just put on their board of directors so i get to go to their board meeting in a couple of weeks so we get to be on each other's board jen
0: it's so exciting. It is good. And Jen, <laughs> so you know, Massachusetts is one of the very few states that has a instructor's license. It's true. Yeah, it's really true. And, and that, yeah. that's been going on a long, long time, hasn't it? Well, you got yours in 92. Yeah, so. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I was in college. So. Huh. Right, do, well, do, it you, was... do you know, Christy, how many states have an instructor's license? One. Massachusetts. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
2: And actually, for any of people listening, it, there is a written test involved and then there is a fee to pay. But if you're CHA certified, they let you skip the written test, but not the fee. But yes.
0: No, that so is Massachusetts. Is, so they're not going to skip the right. fee. No <laughs>
2: skipping now. of the fee. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was good, though, this weekend. Jen, talk a little bit about what was going on. You had a busy weekend while when I saw you out at Equine Affair. Talk about what IEA was doing.
1: Uh, so... So this weekend, our Western division um, held a semifinal B for our western um, in the Cooper arena at at the equine affair and that was it was really exciting that uh, equine affair had us back for a second year in a row to host a western show on the grounds um, and um, sort of double duty, we were able to run a horse show and and we were also able to sort of showcase our program and equine affair was Um, you know, was able to have us there for, you know, and, and attract people. It was the, the Western semifinals went really, really well. And then across town at Otterbein College, we had our dressage finale. Um, Our, our dressage discipline is in its, this is its third year. Um, It becomes an official discipline next year. And this is the second year in a row Otterbein has hosted our, our final uh, post-season qualifier show for us. And it just went wonderfully. Uh, USCF live streamed it for us um, through their network. And, um, we just had a lot of fabulous people on the grounds and the staff at Otterbein are, they're just irreplaceable. So it was really overall, it was a very busy, but an extremely successful weekend all the way around.
2: And Jen, for those that might not know, go ahead and explain the IEA draw concept and the fourth through, you know, 12th grade concept to everyone.
1: Okay. So, um, our program's open to fourth to 12th grade. Um, fourth to eighth grade for middle school, ninth grade through twelfth grade for high school. We offer three disciplines, Hunt, seat, Western and Dressage, and it is a draw-based system, which means that the show host actually provides all of the horses or is um, they're responsible for organizing all of the horses, regardless of where they come from. And then placing them in divisions where they seem to be appropriate. So we have four levels, uh, beginner, novice, intermediate, and open. So the officials sit down, they decide what level the horses are appropriate for. They watch them school with a professional on them. And then they put those horses into a random draw and they will choose uh, randomly a horse for every rider that has been deemed appropriate for that division. And then throughout the throughout the day, as the classes run, the officials will watch the horses and make sure that they stay safe for the level of the classes that are that are in there. But essentially, you know, our riders get on and fix their stirrups and walk into the ring um, with very, very few exceptions. Um, so it's really it's really a challenge. Uh, we don't expect perfection. We expect our riders to walk into the ring and be thoughtful and think through um, the requests that are being asked for them by the judge. And then on the other hand, we expect the judges to sort of understand the fact that those children have really just met those horses and that they're doing their best with what they have available to them But they're not expected to be as polished as they would be if they were their own horses.
2: And Jen, I'll tell you, I wish that you existed back in the 80s when I was in middle school and high school, because I would have done this in 2.2 seconds. It would have been my sport. Oh, Oh my gosh. gosh.
1: Yeah. You would not believe how many people tell us that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
2: But it's good. It's it's around now for our children and grandchildren. So thank you for that. I think it's wonderful. Exactly. Exactly. So, let's dive into our topic here for those that are listening today. Um, what should people consider when planning activities at their equine facility for the summer to basically increase their overall business?
1: You know the the first thing the, the first thing that I, I realized um, as a business owner is that whatever I put in place, I need to make sure that it's successful. I don't want to offer something, I don't want to offer really a product. To the public that um, isn't supported, um, whether it's not having enough resources or not being um, organized, or um, you know whatever else happens to come up along the way. So I need to consider uh, what my overall goal is. Do I want to increase new members? Do I want to give uh, more activities for my current members to participate in? And then at the end of the summer, do I want the new people to stay? Do I want them to continue in my program? Um, I have to sit down and see what time, what, what kind of time I have available to do extra activities in order to, that I can keep up my, my regular business, that my regular customers stay happy. I have to see how much manpower I have, and if I want to do activities that go beyond what I have available, I may have to look into hiring um, somebody to come in and help me. I also have to really consider the liability of the tasks that I'm going to set forth. So if I'm going to do something, whether it's offering something new for youth or adults, I need to make sure it's within the scope of my liability policy and that um, if I have any questions, I do need to go back to my agent and sit down and talk to them about what's covered, what's not covered, or if I need any additional coverage for the activities that i like to do. And then I really need to sit down and look at my customer. What does my customer want? Um, what do they need out of a program? Uh, what are really what are parents looking for um, as we go into as we go into the summer? So that I make sure that I I offer a product and I put my time and energy into something that will be successful.
2: Those are all very thoughtful things to consider. I think um, all the insurance people out there are saying thank you, because I know that a lot of them, they'll charge different for, you know, pony ride Mm -hmm. versus camp versus birthday party versus whatever you're doing. So I think that that's that's wonderful. Um. What are specific activities that you're offering during the summer that you might not offer at other times of year due to the fact that you maybe do have more daylight or you know that people are going to want to come and ride more because of the good weather? What different things do you do during that time?
1: So during, during the summer, I do try to offer at least one, if not two, open houses during the summer. Uh, they're usually on the weekends. I try to plan a couple of months in ahead and, and advertise in the local papers or at some of the local bulletin boards, and just have a, a an open house that runs concurrently with the regular lesson program, but that offers maybe um, unmounted activities uh, and pony rides. Give parents an opportunity to see what happens around the farm, watch a lesson, ask questions. You know, a lot of people are they consider getting into horseback riding, but it can be a little daunting. Uh, horseback riding can be a, a time commitment, and so a lot of parents, when it comes to planning things during the summer, they they hesitate because is it possible to fit one more thing in the day? And during the summer, especially during an open house, if the weather's beautiful, they might drop in for an hour on a Sunday, um, and I might have you know a snow cone machine or face painting or something else that's kind of fun for the kids and give them a chance to just walk around and ask questions. Um,
3: that's really good idea. Those.
1: We'll-
2: Well, you know, I like that idea. I'd like it because you also don't just have the horses on your property. You have chickens and other things. So that's kind of fun for them probably to see all the animals.
1: Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and a lot of times the kids aren't necessarily interested in riding, but what they'd like to do is come help me feed, (laughs) you know, or they want to, you know, more than one child asks if they can pick up a pitchfork. You know, it's just, it's really exciting when they get into an area like that where there's so much um, there are so many different things to do, things to push and pull and pick up and put down and carry around. And, and just the fact that they've got a goat or a rabbit or a chicken with them, it's kind of a unique experience for most of these kids. So a lot of them will just eat it up. You know, I, I have kids, I have kids that are fascinated, you know, sometimes with the large sand plots that we have for the goats, you know, they just, it, it's just interesting to see what interests the children, um, and, and really where they're, where what they like to do versus what we perceive they like to do. So, um,
3: you know, well, we, you're really creative. Offer...
1: Thank you. You're,
2: yeah, Thank creative. You. And, and then you also have things for adults and things too, not just for the kids, which I also like.
1: Yes, well, and I think it's important, you know, we have a lot of adults that also think that maybe they might want to try getting into riding, but during the school year um, or during the winter months when the the days are shorter, they hesitate. So I actually found offering um, adult evenings. I've often done series of like a four-week series every Wednesday night from five to seven or six to eight, where they come in and we have a riding lesson and then there's some other activity that's unmounted uh, that also involves wine and cheese or, <laughs> you know, something else that really attracts the adults. And it usually goes from a, a two-hour event to a four-hour event um, of of just some like-minded people sitting around chatting about horses. And, and several of those adults will continue to stay with me during the school year when it does get cold and it does get dark and they're coming to ride at seven o'clock at night when um, normally I don't think they would have gone I don't think they would have ventured into that in the middle of January unless they knew what they were getting themselves into.
2: <laughs> True. Yeah.
1: It really
0: so, really is. With, unless it involved the, wine, um, then there's that.
1: Uh, <laughs> yes. I think that's after a great the riding. Tool.
0: After the riding, uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. After uh, yeah. the riding, yeah.
2: So, for those adults that want to come and ride, then do you offer um, babysitting for working families? How do you make all that work? Uh,
1: so, the adult evenings have actually been quite successful without um, without the children. Um, I do try to plan them so that it's sort of an after dinner or an, an after after the afternoon, I guess, at some point in the evening. I began offering the adult evenings with a contingency that I, I had somebody available to watch children. Um, and we had some activity plan activities planned for the kids. But what I found was that um, the adults, and they were mostly mothers, they did not bring children. Yeah, they, didn't want their kids they left, them, left them at home purposely. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> yeah, well, you know, they're, they're doing something for themselves. They're giving themselves three hours a week to leave the house and go do something that's kind of fun and unique and then come back home again. And so I actually found it to not really be a big attraction. But, you know, I have a lot of really great teenagers that are in my barn all winter and they stay with me during the summer. And so if I ever have an adult that does have a lesson and they let me know that, you know, they can't make it because they have their kids, <laughs> I I will arrange somebody to be there and watch their children while they ride. So that's very
2: creative. That. Yeah, it's good to do. And then I know you also don't you offer special pricing for customers that have never come to you before?
1: We do. We do. So um, a customer coming in will typically automatically get 5% off of whatever um, activity they want to participate in. And most of it comes from a summer camp. You know, I offer a a youth summer camp. So it's automatically 5% off whatever, whatever the normal weekly fee would be. And then an additional discount for multiple children. So it's not unusual for me to have Three or four siblings, all from the same family that will come. and And although in the end, I might be charging overall twenty percent less for each of them, i'm I'm still it's I'm still coming out on top in the end because there's an excellent chance at least one of those children will continue to stay with me throughout the winter and and continue to be a regular customer. Um, And then my regular customers that are happy turn into the people who refer people back to me. So it's really a win-win if I can, if I can offer a program that people like, and I give them a little bit of a discount to get involved, and then they like it, and then they refer their friends. And um, I also do referral discounts. So for my regular customers, if if they bring me a child to participate in summer camp, um, that initial fee that their the new customer will pay, my current customer gets ten percent towards additional additional um, activities or lessons or whatever it is they participate in. And we just we just track it all. but i have I have a customer that has almost single-handedly paid for maybe her entire winter's worth of lessons by going out and referring people and having people come in as new customers to me. Um, you know, she's just made that work for her and, and I find it's a, it's a really good program. And again, in the end, even though I'm, I'm offering discounts, I end up winning because I end up with happy people that want to come back and want to continue to, to participate in my program. That customer is your marketing director paid on barter. That's great. Absolutely. Absolutely. Absolutely, and I suggested it to her, and she just ran with it. So.
0: Wait, that, and that's kind of rare, though. That person is rare. I mean, we all try and do those programs, but there's just a few people who actually do it. You know, and it's right. you, you know you you yeah. hope to find those couple. Well, it's like exactly. anything else you in know, business. It's like what we say in retail: twenty percent of the people are going to do 80, are going to be eighty percent of your business, and and that's true whatever industry you're exactly. in. Yeah. Yes, exactly. it is. <laughs> and, you know,
1: we've, it, it it. is really true. You know, we've tried offering programs um, before uh, where, um, you know, where there's new customers get a, you know, they pay half price for a series of five lessons. And I find that when I do that, I actually only retain about like maybe 5% of the people that come in. Most of them come in for their five lessons and they leave and they don't come back. Right. And I'm glad they tried it. I'm glad that, you know, but. But in the end, I have to really sit down. That I do. I do look at taking a loss on because if I have too many of them, so it, I do find that working with my regular customers and then and realistically understanding what my customer base is, um, I just happen to be in an area where we have an we have an excellent youth program, and there there aren't there aren't as many other equestrian programs in our area. And you know, for a lot of parents, it's distance. You know, if they will. They would rather travel 10 minutes from their home on their way to work to drop their kids off for camp than to go 45 minutes to an hour out of their way. Um, So I just try to make it as fun and as user friendly as possible. And I just I've just been very blessed with the customers that I have.
2: Well, you know, I have two boys, 12 and 14, and ever since they were little, I'm like, all right, what am I going to do with this amazing thing called the summer of which I still have to work? And even though I work (laughs) from home, right, I've got to work. So what I've done... Which makes it almost
0: a a little bit worse because they're there all the time. and You're trying to get work done and they don't get it. You know,
2: Well, and the thing is, when they were little, you know, they made a lot of noise, they did whatever. Now they irritate me because all they want to be is on their devices all day long. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're rotting your brains looking at the memes. Let's stop looking (laughs) at the memes. And they're going,
0: but mom, you're on your computer all day long.
2: Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So I started to say to them, why don't you start making the memes and becoming viral and then you'll make money? Why are we just
1: consuming
2: the memes? Exactly. (laughs)
1: Exactly.
2: I started exactly. to eat a week on week off. So when they first get out of school, they get a week to veg, have a friend over, be on the memes, do whatever they're mm-hmm. going to do. And then the next week I'm sending them off to camp. I'm like, out of here and then they have a week exactly. to veg and do whatever and then the next week they're off on another camp so i think that these camps are just such a wonderful idea and us parents appreciate you for doing them and making oh, them longer you. than just two hours we need half day and full day camps we really do because overnight's we preferred
0: in- actually uh <laughs> christy would like more <laughs> of those it's so true you,
2: know, you have to have, have barn, to <laughs> jen we want cots at
1: your barn
0: please <laughs> that's right <true. laughs>
1: So, <laughs> you know, it's. I think I think the biggest thing is that I have to be flexible. You know, it's important to be flexible and to be open to your customers and know where your boundary lines are. But if you have a customer that that gives you a call and says they're going to be an hour late because they get stuck in traffic, you, you almost have to anticipate that. You know, so I know that my camp ends at 6. You know, my extended hours for camp will end at 6. But I actually plan to be in the barn until 7 o'clock. I'm, I actually build that in because things just happen and you need to be flexible. And I remember having a young child and dropping her off at daycare and it was a dollar a minute for every minute that I was late. And the amount of, you know, the amount of pressure that puts on you um, was just something I don't, I would rather just give an extra hour of my day just to take that pressure off of a parent who's just been so good to me, um, you know, to allow them to come and a little less stressy and pick up their child and know that, you know,
2: Jen, you are loved on that because when I had my boys at daycare, I got numerous, not just one, numerous speeding tickets, trying to go and pick them up on time. (laughs) So I didn't have to pay the dollar a minute. And then I ended up being really in the hole. It's not good.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So.
2: So what steps do you take to encourage all of your new customers to return? Because obviously we want to feed our horses year round. So what are some of your steps that you do for that?
1: Um, well, as I mentioned before, I really try to give them an optimal experience as soon as they walk in the door. So I try to only offer things that I know that I can follow through on so that expectations are all met. Um, when a, when a rider leaves me um, or you know if they come for a week of camp and they're not enrolled for anything else, when they leave, they get um, so I teach I teach Hunty. They get a short bat um, that is either pink or blue, and it sparkles. And they get a little thank you card for thanking them for coming out. And in there is a coupon for 20% off their first series of lessons. And, and I offer a series of lessons where they buy ninth and they get the 10th one free or they can buy 18 and they get the last two free. And they actually get 20% off of that. And that Do you way, make them pay in um, advance? So you make in... them pay
0: for the whole thing at that time?
1: They pay for it in advance or okay. whenever they decide. So I've had kids leave me after camp and then come back in December um, and use that 20% off coupon to buy a series because usually by the time you have a child for 10 lessons, um, you, you know, you know, they, the parents have a good idea whether or not they're, yeah, they're, they're in or know, out something they're going to go forward with.
0: <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And, and yeah. And it's, you know, I have, I have parents that have come to me that have asked me to, because financially they're not in a place to come up with a chunk of money like that. They have asked me to work with them. Um, and on, on a few rare occasions, especially if I have somebody that is is really true to their word and they follow through every time, I'm happy to accommodate them. Um, but a lot of people will enter that and they start paying the discounted rate and then they just sort of things get busy and they sort of fall off and you never really see them again. So, um, I really do the, the standard is that they are expected to write that check up front for those 10 lessons. And, um, you
0: know, that's and what, then
1: once they become an established again,
0: customer, yeah. I think that we, we could say that about almost any industry, you know, if they pay mm-hmm. it up front, then they're, they're the ones that are going to tend to hang around. The others are going to go, you'll make a little bit of money, but then they're going to go away uh for whatever exactly. reason a million reasons but
2: right so jen what you're doing is you're just running your equestrian program like a business and more uh, of wait a minute wait that. a minute
0: running a horse thing like a business i know that's I know. why i said it's it out crazy. loud <laughs> crazy town i know so
2: considering know. that though you know with summer is almost here so i'm assuming you're already starting to market for the summer aren't you
1: Yes. We actually started in December. Um, in December I sat down and talked to my, I have an IA team. I chatted with some of the older girls on my team to feel out who was planning on sticking around with me for the summer so I could get an idea of my manpower and my resources. Um, I looked at my current lesson base to decide how much time I had. And then I started, you know, I, I typically will do, um, between five and seven weeks of camp every year, depending on what, on what my available, my availability is. And, um, at this point I'm, I've sort of have a normal routine of what I offer. So I did start in December. We started with a little bit of Facebook marketing. I put ads in like our local newspapers, um, some of our local school Facebook pages. I'll put a little post and I just kind of keep, I, you know, once a month I sit down and I just go through my checklist. And then once we hit, March, I really ramp things up a little bit on social media and really start the word of mouth and reminding, putting things up at the barn, reminding my own people. So we really, we really do try to start four or five, six months in advance, because that's when parents, parents would like to have their schedule set before the end of March. You know, most of them would like to know their kids are at X, Y, and Z for the month of July or, you know, wherever it is they're going to have to be, because then they can put that aside, um, and, and move on with, the other busy things that they have to do. So, Jen, explain
2: where exactly in Massachusetts you are, and how people can find you.
1: Um, so, I'm on the North Shore, of Massachusetts. We are right on the Haverhill Merrimack line. Um, I teach at Cornerstone Farm, and we have a website where you can, you know, you can go on, and um, we've got full contact information. Um if you don't get myself, you'll get the other instructor, um, Andromeda Sweeney, and she's lovely and she'll be able to answer all your questions. And it um yeah, we're easy to get a hold of.
2: Well wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the show today and explaining some of your tips. We really appreciate it.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. Have a good day. All right. We're rocking and rolling today. Molly is ready already.
2: Well, and I'll tell you what's so great about this. This, um, person that we were just talking to. It's probably going to be great for this program we're now going to talk about in Time to Ride. I hope Jen signs up. So Molly grew up as your typical horse crazy kid. And like so many of us, she never outgrew the craze. Yes, it is a disease with no cure, Molly. Her professional background includes experience with two breed associations as well as for-profit equine companies. And she's been the Time to Ride manager, which is a program under the American Horse Council since last April. So hello, Miss Molly. How are you?
4: I'm fine. Good morning, Christy. How are you?
2: Good. Glenn and I and Jen are very happy to have you on the show today.
4: I'm very pleased to be here. Thank you for the opportunity.
2: So let's um, go ahead and let everyone know, where do you live? Where are you calling us from today?
4: Uh, Massachusetts, Western Massachusetts. It is a Massachusetts Um, day. It is, yeah. I'm just a little ways <laughs> north of Springfield.
0: Hey, hey, uh, Bob.
4: by equine, by where equine is there is. Yes,
0: Molly, are you talking right into your phone? Are you on a headset? Yes, or? I am. Okay, all right. No,
4: nope, right into my phone.
0: Okay, it's it's just a little bit garbled, but uh, I think I think we can make it work.
2: Okay. So, Molly, let's dive right in. Go ahead. And for those that are listening that might not have heard of Time to Ride, um, let us know what it is. And then for those that are listening, we'll get into how it's changed here in a little bit. So what is the Time to Ride concept?
4: The Time to Ride concept is to attract newcomers to horses. That's the very broad basis of it, um, primarily with a focus on kids and uh, so reaching out to the kids, but also to the moms with kids. And the idea is that there are so many things competing today for kids' attention and for their free time and to get them off the screen, um, that horses are another option for these kids. And I'm so excited
2: about that because it needs to happen, right? This is what we always talk about is if you keep young people coming into the industry, your industry stays solvent. So who came up with this idea? How did it come into existence to begin with?
4: Well, back when Zoitis was Pfizer, um, they used to hold an annual equine industry leaders conference. And at that conference, you would have individuals from the big farmer companies, the feed companies, the big horse media companies, breed associations. And in roughly 2011, um, with the decline that we all saw in the horse business as a result of the Great Recession, They were all concerned about, you know, where are we going as an industry? And we all realize that there is none of us are going to move the needle by ourselves. No one discipline or breed or company is going to move that needle by themselves. But if we join forces and promote horses in general and horseback riding in general, people are going to find whatever breed or discipline suits them best. So these companies join together formed what is called the Marketing Alliance and placed it under the American Horse Council because AHC is basically uh, Switzerland in the horse world. It serves all and um, is not beholden to any one organization or discipline. So it became a program. The Marketing Alliance is a program of the American Horse Council.
2: And it's a really good idea. And for those listening, Molly, you're going to have people today um, that are listening and we'll listen later to the recording of the show that are equine professionals and obviously want to hear about how to get involved. But then you're also going to have others that are horse enthusiasts that are saying, where do I go for that first horse experience? So what's nice about Time to Ride is you're going to solve both of those. So go ahead and let's jump in. Tell people about um, this new pilot program that you guys are right in the throes of. I mean, this is like first time going public talking about it. I'm very excited. So go ahead and share with us.
4: Thanks. Exactly, yes, and that's why I'm so excited. The, your timing was perfect. So last week, late last week, we launched our, our 2019 pilot program. What we're doing with that is reaching out, and for the pilot, we're looking for 20 to 30 barns from across the country and across and disciplines, and we will select them based on criteria developed in large part on certified horsemanship criteria. Uh, Pony Club has also helped with that and United States Equestrian Federation. Barns can go to the website, which is timetoride.org, review the requirements, and then submit an application. What we will then do when the 20 to 30 pilot barns are selected is work with them very much hands-on to identify their local schools. So this is, I caught the last bit of Jennifer, identify local schools, uh, local recreation groups, um, and I'll use as an example, my brother has a 12-year-old and 13-year-old in Connecticut, so they don't necessarily do their, you know, football and soccer through school, but they do it through the local rec league, which is connected to the school. So finding also, you know, Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, youth groups, faith-based groups, homeschool groups are another good uh, area to investigate, but work with them to find those groups within their local area supply them with marketing materials and tips um, for outreach to those groups. The program itself is designed so that they will offer rather than a one lesson, you know, one time uh, touch a pony, but how do you get them back? The idea here is to create more stickiness with the program. So the pilot facilities are asked to provide a set of six to eight lessons on a weekly basis and offer this as a package to the parents and to the kids with the theory being that if they stick for that six or eight lessons, you know, not every kid is going to stick. Not every kid is going to love it, but the ones who do, that's enough exposure to light the spark and get them to keep coming. Within those lessons, um, we're looking for facilities that do obviously the basic riding, but also basic horse care with these kids. So it's a 90 minute to two hour experience, depending on the facility. Um, where the kids learn about parts of the horse and how to groom a horse and halter a horse, as well as their, you know, walk, trot, whoa, go, up, downs, um, that kind of thing. So we're combining the two because as horse people, we all know it's wonderful to ride them and get that feeling, but it's working with them on the, on the ground that really gives you that sense of who a horse is and what a horse is and really touches the soul. So we want to give the kids that opportunity.
2: And I love it because, you know, there's a lot of other programs out there. Like, um, for example, there's called a Young Eagles program because they're finding more and more of us like to get on airplanes and fly. And we're using it as busing right around the country. And they're running out of pilots. Mm -hmm. So for those of you that have young kids, you can actually take your young kid up in a Cessna plane and they can learn how to fly with a retired aviator. Um, They also have Colorado Ski Country USA, fifth and sixth grade passport here where I live. And it's the only reason we went skiing because I actually then had free passes for my children to go when they were in fifth and sixth grade and parents got half price at all these ski resorts that kind of chipped in and did this. And then I know you guys modeled yourself off the first tee, which is a golf program. Do you want to explain? A little bit more about that, Molly?
4: Sure. The First T does uh, something fairly similar to what we're doing. We are emulating their model as much as possible. And they do the same thing. They work with local golf courses, and the golf courses work through the schools and youth groups to offer a series of lessons to kids to teach them about golfing. And the other thing we've done with Time to Ride is similar to the First T, incorporated into our program are the life lessons that horses teach us. And we all know those of, you know, perseverance and patience and working with another living creature with golf. They call it their nine core values and they're teaching leadership skills, et cetera. So we all know that horses do the same thing. And that's part of this program. That's part of the end goal is to teach the, to help these kids learn the lessons that horses can teach us. Is the best way to put it. The first T has been in existence for I believe this is their 21st year they've reached over 15 million kids so we're we're, a lot. we're crawling we're not even walking or running yet but that's that would be the goal to have a, a program that is similarly successful you know do all those do 15 million kids still golf no but enough of them got exposure and maybe they go to you know, watch the masters this past weekend or or watch it on tv whatever but they you know do they maintain some involvement in it and that's our goal: is we want to grow, not just teach a kid to ride, but grow the next generation of knowledgeable, educated horse owners. That's what's going to sustain us in the long run. We need that next generation that are going to own horses, care for horses, love horses. And from a marketing alliance standpoint, you know, it's preserving their market. They're going to buy the products, buy the grain, use the vets, use the farriers. And that's another whole piece of it. Where is our next generation of equine vets and farriers and Christy, a you or a me coming from? And that's that's the long-term goal and the long-term vision of Time to Ride is building that next generation. All of the statistics you look at, regardless of whose study it is, continue to show an increase in age of horse owners, an increase of age of horses and a decline in younger people coming in. We need to beef up the introduction to horses so that they continue and, and turn into the addicts that we all are. <laughs> so true. <laughs> That's a good way yeah. to put what we are. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Oh, absolutely.
2: So those that remember the time to ride challenge, go ahead and explain uh, the shift of thought process and why you're not doing the challenge this year and you're doing pilot program instead.
4: Okay. So when I came into the program last April, we did do the challenge again last year. It was its fifth year. And looking at the overall program, we saw some decline in participation. The challenge was a wonderful concept and highly successful. We had over 130,000 people introduced to horses that were tracked through the challenge program but the the concern became again looking at that long term it is wonderful to help somebody meet a horse for the first time but it lacked the stickiness of getting them coming back so that's why we shifted to this you know six or eight lessons because then they get full exposure and decide if this is something they really want to do or not therefore the the shift in direction and with the pilot program, we are requiring, again, you know, based on largely on CHA and that's some pony club and USCF requirements, that the instructors be either certified or professional within their uh, breed or discipline. Um, we're requiring that they take safe sport training through USCF. We're requiring criminal background checks. We want this to be a very safe, very welcoming environment for the kids and, um, help the parents feel at ease about this. Horses are intimidating to people who don't know them. And so we want to put everybody's minds at ease a little bit. And thus the, the shift from the challenge, which was wonderful. And if anybody listening still wants to hold uh, you know, prefer that you don't call it a time to ride challenge event, but keep holding those one day events, but think about having that lesson program to back it up. So somebody, you know, mom and kids come to your farm think about having a package to offer them that says, you know, here you can sign up for six or eight lessons for a, you know, this will be a set price kind of thing. We're not going to determine the price. That's going to be determined by the facility, but trying to keep it as much as possible on a par with other activities of this quality that are available to kids so that they get that long-term, you know, the opportunity to to have a longer-term experience. And what's
2: good about this, you know, it's just what Jen was talking about earlier on the show is, you know, she holds open houses. And then from those open Mm -hmm. houses, she then garners who wants to do longer. And then she offers the coupons and everything else to get them into a lesson program. That's why I was going to say, I hope Jen signs up for this program. Because it's those types of um, programs that are run like a true business that are really successful. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's what's going to keep our um, newbies that are new to the industry coming back for more. So I love the whole idea. So what is the vision, Molly, for Time to Ride in the future? Um, What is like the five and ten year goal?
4: Yep. Uh, The goal there is, you know, that we learn from the pilot program this year. So so looking shorter term, we learn from the program this year what's working, what isn't. That starting next year, we would open this up more broadly um, and still have an application process and have criteria that need to be met. But that we, by doing so, we start to build a robust list on our website. And then it's, it's a chicken and an egg scenario. Um, and those of you who understand how this works, we need numbers to get more sponsorship. We need sponsorship to get more numbers. So it's working both at the same time so that we have more facilities available through the website and that helps us get more, more sponsorships and raise enough funds to ultimately my goal is that we're doing an overlying consumer outreach campaign, primarily social um, that would, you know, so, so, uh, you know, the the eight-year-old girl is saying, mom, I really want to take riding lessons, but she has no clue where to go. Well, We'll familiarize her with time with mom, familiarize mom with time to ride so she can go to the website and find a place in her area. So that's, that's the vision for it. And that by doing so, we, um, you know, just continue to grow that audience. But that we're, by doing that umbrella marketing, we're helping the local barns. They also have all their tools to use at their grassroots level. So the two, the two campaigns basically merge together and work together looking again at that you know 10 or 15 five or 10 or 15 years down the road there are so many youth programs out there that offer uh you know scholarship opportunities and internship opportunities and i can see that world being wide open for time to ride as we grow so that this becomes even a more robust program for the kids themselves and gives them opportunities to continue in the horse world
2: I agree, and that's I love that it's. I it's a good dream. We all have to have these goals because then we can reach for them. You know, without them, we don't have. Mm-hmm. We're kind of floundering. So I think Time to Rise is a great program. I'm so excited about the industry involvement and how we're all partnering together. Um, we're also going to be meeting. Um, I know in DC in June, so we do meet face to face twice yeah. a year, and then we also meet on conference calls. So it's a very vibrant, active group um, that's leading the charge here. Very. So remind everyone again um, who's listening who might be interested in finding out either a place uh, to go and have their kids experience horses or to become part of this pilot program, which is very exciting. How do they find you again?
4: Um, Our website is timetoride.org, and they can go to the website, and right from the homepage, you can either go to the For Businesses section where you can review the requirements and submit an application For the parents right now, we haven't activated the map because we haven't approved any pilot facilities. If you have a question, just um, you can email me directly through the website. You can, and we also on the website refer to CHA and Pony Club to look at their websites for somebody in your area.
2: Sounds good, Molly. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today and explaining this pilot program. How exciting about getting to do it right after it was approved. It was great timing. So thank you.
4: Yes, you're welcome. Thank you again so much for the opportunity and everybody listening. Please feel free to reach out with any questions. Have a great day. I will. Thanks so much.
0: Well, there's uh, one group trying to address the problem that the entire industry has.
4: Yes. And you know
2: what's been really nice about it? It's not reinventing the wheel, right? We've all tried our own little ways, but this way we're kind of coming together to do something. And it's fun to meet with these folks and to have a conversation about this. And, you know, like she said, 130,000, that's not small change. That was pretty good for the challenge program. So now we'll see how this next pilot program idea goes. I think it's really exciting.
0: And it is interesting to see, to hear why she said that, that a lot of them didn't stick. And that goes back to our conversation earlier, right? About yes. about people having something vested in it. They were coming out to sea and maybe they got to pet a horse, but nothing else happened.
4: Right. So
0: maybe this way, you know, maybe this way something will happen and we'll, it, you'll get less people probably. But if, if uh, you know, if we get 20, 30% of them sticking instead of five, yes, yeah. huge. Yeah, this makes a big Huge. difference. It sure does. you know, you know it is, it's so nothing is new, and I, I love what you said about also taking a look at what other industries are doing, like golf, like skiing, like all of them, um, yes. because nothing's new. We all, you know, we all steal from each other, and it, 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 why not take a look at what's working elsewhere? Because they all have the same problem. Sure, they do. Yeah. I yeah. mean,
2: a lot of more gray hair on the golf course, a lot more gray hair on your pilots, a lot more well, gray hair on your skiers.
0: Yeah, right? just and how it is. And yeah. You know, and they are all dealing with the kids at home and on the, on the video games, like we talked about earlier. Correct. The, too. They're all dealing yes. with that same thing. I mean, it. yeah. The only thing that doesn't seem to be dealing with that is little kids playing soccer. There still seems <laughs> to be a <laughs> lot of cool little kids playing soccer everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> <laughs>
2: i agree and i my brother played soccer a lot and my poor mom my mom and i were tortured with soccer and i guess my uh, mom and dad and brother were tortured with watching me ride horses and go to horse shows so that's that's how it was but oh yes (laughs) i was definitely a soccer sister growing up
0: yes (laughs) well talk to us a little bit about what people can find on the cha website what's coming up
2: Yes, please. So we have um, two different locations. You can go to chainstructors.com and like Molly was talking about, find an equine professional near you, a a barn to board your horse, a trail ride operation, whatever you need. Or if you are an equine professional already or looking to be one, you can go to chainstructors.com and see clinics. We are hitting heavy clinic season. We do Right around 80 clinics a year throughout the U.S. and Canada, and they pretty much are all in April, May, and June. So there you go, (laughs) because everyone's trying to do it right before the busy summer season. So if you get on there now, you will scroll and scroll and scroll of all the different places um, to audit first, spend a day, audit, experience what it's like, and then come back maybe next year and get certified. Or if you want to dive right into the full five-day process, you can do that
0: too. But that's the best place to go is those two websites. Very good. Uh, And before we go here, I want to make sure that uh, listeners that just tune in for the CHA know a little bit about this. The second Horse Lovers cruise is set for February 3rd, 2020. Most of you are just thawing out from a miserable winter. Think about next year taking a break from all of that in February and joining us on a warm cruise with fellow horse lovers and listeners of the Horse Radio Network. All of the details can be found at horseloverscruise.com. Wanted to make sure your listeners know they're invited. They can come join us. Oh, that music makes me so excited. (laughs) I I love the music. I know. And it's, you know, you're going to have another miserable year next year. I'm predicting it right now. So you should come.
2: (laughs) Glenn the Farmer's Almanac says. That's right. (laughs)
0: That's right. Well, that's about it for today. Thank you so much for joining us, everybody. We really appreciate it. Jamie will be back tomorrow. And then we have fox hunting on Thursday. And then really bad ads on Friday. So get your ads into Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. Whole week of programming here for you. Thank you once again, Christy. If you want to hear all of Christy's past episodes, they tend not to be date-related. I mean, you, you they tend to be information you can be used anytime, kind of evergreen. So if you want to, you can go to horsesinthemorning.com and click on the banner in the middle of the page for the CHA and it'll bring up all the past episodes. And I believe you have them on your website too, right? We do. We have yeah. them under
2: our education tab, so either way.
0: Okay, either way. So thank you for that. And, of course, you can uh, find all of the 17 shows here on the Horse Radio Network at uh, on our app, iOS or Android. Just search for Horse Radio Network. We have dozens of people every day downloading the app from all around the world. So we appreciate you listening wherever you do, and thank you so much for joining us this morning. And thank you, Christy. My pleasure. All right, everybody. See you tomorrow.